Everything in the central area here in Hollywood is being funneled toward the Pantages Theater because this is Oscar night. And keep your eyes on the losers tonight as they applaud the winners. You'll see great understanding, great sportsmanship, great acting. Well, the only thing left to say is meet the champion. Hello, and welcome back to the Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movie that has the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. I am one of your hosts, Danny Vincent, and with me are my other two triplets. Who are they? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Tag yourself. Which triplet are you? I think I'm Jack Buchanan. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't appreciate don't appreciate that introduction. My name's Sarah. I don't appreciate it, but you know what? That's entertainment. I'm still thrown off, y'all. Um was it, what was the Louisiana song about? The, oh, we should have said I is here. I is here. I, I'm Caleb, y'all, and I is here. <laughs> All right, so this is part two of our series, our three-part series on the 26th Academy Awards. So instead of me doing my normal really long countdown, I'll do a quick one and say, uh, with thir- this ceremony, from here to from bleh, from here to eternity, at 13 noms, one eight. Then Roman Holiday had 10 noms, one three. Then Lily and Shane got six nominations. They both won one. Then a movie called The Robe got five nominations and won two. Julius Caesar also got five nominations, but only won one. And there were two films that got three nominations and one win. Those were Calamity Jane and Stalag 17. Then there was a film called The Moon is Blue, which had three nominations and no wins, but we already talked about it. So this week we're talking about a movie with three nominations and no wins, and it is The Bandwagon by Vincent Minnelli. Sarah, tell me what The Bandwagon was nominated for. Um, the Bandwagon was nominated for uh, Best Costume Design Color. For Mary Ann Nyberg, and she lost to Charles Lemaire and Emile Santiago for The Robe. Um, she was also nominated for A Star is Born. Um, best scoring of a musical picture for Adolf Dutch, who lost to Alfred Newman for Calming, <laughs> Calming Madam. My dog is crying. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, best scoring of a musical picture for Adolf Dutch. Lost to who lost to Alfred Newman for Call Me Madam. Uh, he was also nominated for Showboat, and he won three for Oklahoma, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and Annie Get Your Done. Um, and Best Story and Screenplay, which we would call Original Screenplay, for Betty Comden and Adolph Green. Um, and they lost to Charles Brackett, Walter Reich, and Richard L. Breen for Titanic. Um, and they were also nominated for It's Always Fair Weather. Caleb, do you have historical context, or do you want me to talk about the ceremony? Because this would be the time I talk about the ceremony, because I didn't do it last week. Only to say that The Bandwagon is kind of pairs up with a movie uh, that came out a year before it, Singing in the Rain, as kind of a nostalgic throwback to older uh, movie musicals. And both of those movies have now kind of become classics in their own right. So it might be hard for people to contextualize them as nostalgia pieces. Um, But, you know, nostalgia goes through cycles. And around the 50s, there would have been nostalgia um, going back to the 30s and early 40s for those type of musicals. Um, So I think that's interesting. Now, let me talk about the Oscars. So the Oscars this year. 26 Academy Awards. 
second national telecast. 43 million viewers apparently watched this. Interestingly enough, both the presenters for Best Actor and Best Actress could not come to the ceremony because Shirley Booth would won the previous year, I presume, because why else would she be presenting? Uh, Shirley Booth was performing on Philadelphia at that time. And so she called in the... uh... No, sorry, sorry. She was given the winner's name over the phone and then she had a live broadcast cut-in presenting the award for Best Actor to Willem Holden. Meanwhile, Gary Cooper had pre-recorded his presentation because he was on location in Mexico at the time shooting Garden of Good and Evil, where Donald O'Connor announced that winner. All the major winners this year were black and white, which is kind of crazy. And this is the... From here to eternity, and Amy, we have already talked about a lot. Uh, it won eight out of 13, which is matching the current record for most Oscars to win, which is also held by Gone with the Wind at this point in time. It's the third film to receive five acting nominations. Uh, the interesting stat here is that Walt Disney has a record that he still holds, that he won four awards in one night. This is the most Oscars won by a single person in the same year. Um, and then, Sarah, we're going to talk about what you want to talk about last week, which is William Holden's accept- acceptance speech for Stalag 17, which I will now recite my William Holden impression. Thank you. The entire speech. Because the TV broadcast had to be cut off on time. And back then, since it was the second time it was televised, people did not really care about the playoff music. They're like, yeah, sure, we'll respect that. But Holden later personally paid for advertisements in the trades to thank everyone he wanted to in his speech, while also saying Burt Lancaster and Montgomery Cliff should have won instead. Uh, and there are two interesting Special Academy Awards this year, in my opinion. Uh, one was to Henry Henry Crichton, I probably butchered his name, uh, who developed CinemaScope. He got the Academy Award of Merit. And more interestingly for us is that the Irving G. Falberg Memorial Award went to two-time Snub Club honoree George Stevens, who was previously featured on this podcast for his films The Talk of the Town and I Remember Mama. Do we remember Mama? No, we don't. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So with all that taken care of, we can talk about the bandwagon. Uh, I have a gut feeling I like this the most of anyone here because I love these types of old musicals. I love the color here. I will say to me, it is probably the weakest Vincent Minnelli musical I've seen, which granted it is in good company because the other two are Meet Me in St. Louis and The Pirate. And uh, Meet Me in St. Louis is obviously the best of the three I've seen. But the pirate, I feel like, I'll be honest, my issue with the bandwagon, all this cuts to the chase, is that I feel like it presents several interesting plots and then doesn't really pursue any of them and kind of just becomes a musical review by the end of it, which I like the technical stuff on display, but it's just like, I thought this started really interestingly and then you didn't really do anything with it. I still really like the movie. I think it's very entertaining for the most part. That's entertainment. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I thought it was okay. I I guess my issue... I mean, I like Fred Astaire, um, who I know, of course, as the mailman in Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Um, I thought you were just going to stop there where... <laughs> just my I mailman. Know. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Close personal uh, friend. 
I I don't think that any other character was like interesting or charismatic. I mean, I guess the, I think the director was pretty good until until triplets, but I just found the writing like the writer character, the writing in general, I think was kind of weak. I thought the musical numbers were really good until they weren't. The dancing was really good until it wasn't. It feels like kind of kind of a metaphor for the movie itself where they didn't really know what direction to go with it. Uh yeah, this movie did not work for me. Um I do think it like you said Danny, it started out with some interesting ideas. But um I quickly fell off of those. There's exactly one musical number I like in this. I mean, it's Fred Astaire, so the dancing is technically proficient throughout, but I never really emotionally connected to any of uh, any of the pieces, any of the characters. I think the whole concept of making a movie about making a Broadway play is something that's never worked for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I just kind of glazed over uh, for the vast majority of this, especially near the end. What about when the Muppets did it? Did it work for you when the Muppets did this? <laughs> they made a show on Broadway. <laughs> okay, yes. The Muppets. Wait, is that which one is that? The Muppets Take Manhattan would be the one where they go to New York, yes. <laughs> okay, so all I remember about that. No, okay. Here's my problem. I haven't seen a lot of the Muppet movies since I was a kid, so I'm getting that one mixed up with Great Muppet Caper. But I liked I I liked one or both of those, so <laughs> But like even even when you get into things like the producers or stuff, um, which are supposed to be kind of parodying this type of thing, uh, it doesn't. I find it kind of boring. I think the the thing that bothers me about this is that I think the central idea of it is pretty good. I don't see like okay, here's the thing. I don't. I'm gonna pitch a remake of this that I know would be a failure because I it would be incredibly theater insider ball and it wouldn't work. But the way I view this was is like, what if like six. Like ten years from now, I don't know if it was a good like theater star because I don't because Hugh Jackman would obviously play the role in the movie. Like, let's be real, that's just he's our song and dance man. Even if we don't like him, it's just the fact. But like, it's like if Ivan Van Hove, like he went to Ivan Van Hove and be like, "Yo, can you direct me in a musical?" Because it's to me, it's just such a good idea to be like, there's this aging movie star who wants to make a comeback on stage because the movies won't have him anymore. But he randomly goes to this big auteurist play director who does very avant-garde stuff. I'm like, that's right for comedic stuff. And to me, the funniest part of this movie is when they're in the separate rooms and we just keep opening in on the director's pitch. I think like that's a joke that did not get old to me in that moment. Uh, but the issue to it is, is the movie abandons that halfway through after the show opens, and they don't go back to the original idea. They instead just do a review that's plotless. Uh, and I'm just kind of like, wait, what? Because like they were really excited about their idea earlier, which I thought was a fun idea for a show anyway. Like, because their idea for a show initially is like, we want to do a show about this guy who writes children's books, but he also writes hardcore like detective novels, and it's like he's luring children to sin. It's like, all right, like sure, like bit over the top but it's a comedy so i'll accept this like fake play premise as a funny premise i don't know but then it becomes avant-garde i don't know we haven't even said what the movie's about (laughs) 
I think you have described it. It's about an old Hollywood star who is kind of aged out of his uh, career. So he goes back to New York, teams up with a wide variety of people to put on a play. The play doesn't land because of creative differences. And then they decide to rework the play into an old, you know, uh, old review style show. And it is a success. There's also a weird romance in there because yeah, the romance is this work. is the snub club. I, I forget to mention that the, the romance doesn't work. Uh. The romance, okay, the romance doesn't work, but has one of the best scenes in the movie. The dance, uh, Central Park dancing. Yes, yes, that is a good scene. Uh, I would say actually, to me, okay, the weird thing is with the romance is I think they actually do have chemistry, and I buy them as a couple. But the movie constantly draws attention to the fact that he's like twenty years older than her. And I just, it always like bothers me, like for obvious reasons. She's like, oh, yeah, I loved watching you as a kid. And she's like 25. Like, she seems so much younger than him because the movie keeps reminding you of it. And that to me is why the romance never really works, because it has always that undertone that I wouldn't necessarily. Because I'll be honest, I'm very stupid watching these older movies. I, I can obviously tell Fred Astaire is older, but if she told me he was like six years older than her, I'd be like, yeah, sure. But I'm sure she he is. I'm sure he's much older than her. <laughs> I'd have to look it up. But he looks pretty old in this. No, now now I have to look up their age difference just because I'm curious. Yeah, they're 22 years apart. Well, I'm kind of wondering when this trend started to happen because I know the same year was Roman Holiday that was kind of talked about that Gregory Peck was so much older than Audrey Hepburn. Um, and that kind of becomes a pattern for a lot of Audrey Hepburn movies. And I guess it's, I don't know when, I guess this was kind of around that time period, maybe a little bit before, where the ingenue and the older, more seasoned male lead, they had to kind of start acknowledging it a little bit, just because it was it was kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of a shame it's there, because it really, that's really what's holding back the movie from beyond the... Uh... The plot just kind of disappearing for the last 40 minutes. And again, like, I feel like I'm a hypocrite because I was like, just like a few weeks ago, I was like, Hans Christian Anderson completely falls apart because the plot just goes away. And it becomes, I don't know, I just think this is technically better done. Well, I mean, musical reviews is an established genre and like, you don't get any more, but for a nostalgia piece from the 50s, it would make sense that they would send it up. So I, I think it makes sense. Hans Christian Andersen turns into a ballet at the end. Ballet that I like, but it is a pretty big difference. Well, the difference is I'd say Hans Christian Andersen actually sets it up better. Because Hans Christian Andersen's like, oh, there's this ballet dancer. Hans Christian Andersen's music was always done as a ballet. But this is like, literally they tell us, we are working on a stage musical with plot. Then this avant-garde director is coming in and making us change it. And now we're going to change it back. Oh, just kidding. It's a musical review now. So to me, it's like, you promised me that play you pitched at the beginning, and you didn't give it to me. And like, maybe that play wouldn't have been good. And I think that play they pitch is the ballet we get at the end, the the film noir dance number. But it's like, I don't know, like, as someone who likes cheesy old musicals, I wanted that cheesy musical they pitched to me at the beginning. (laughs) Well, and I think it's kind of interesting. So. This was originally a musical from 1931 uh, with Fred Astaire and his sister, 
And I was like, how is his sister going to be in this? But it was very marginally um, related. It was a review, basically, where they just, you know, danced. Um, The same thing happened with Funny Face, where he originated the role on Broadway. And the movie ended up being something completely different. And um, the gay divorcee was like the only one that he originated on Broadway that was like actually adapted. But I kind of feel like this became just like a review at the end, just for Fred Astaire to dance and do stuff. So it kind of feels like this was adapted from the musical. Yeah. Like, I I could... It's that weird thing where, like, again, I feel like I really should have rewatched Singing in the Rain at some point around here, especially when we talked about it with Hans Christian Anderson. But it's like, I always remember that sequence in Singing in the Rain. My dad would skip because, like, this has nothing to do with the plot, Danny. Let's just, we don't need to watch it. And I feel like that's, I feel like you'd probably, we're watching this, he turned it off after the, like, beer number. He'd be like, all right, that's the movie, Danny. Like, literally nothing else happens in this. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I guess. Like, sure. <laughs> There is one major difference between this and Singing in the Rain. I mean, I guess there are a lot of major differences. Um, but Singing in the Rain is Singing in the Rain's a period piece. It goes back in time to send this up. This is um at least at the beginning, it's trying to comment on the evolution of art and how drama can tie into comedy and all that stuff. There's a one of the better moments in the film, the director kind of goes up to Fred Astaire and it's like, you've failed because you don't know how to adapt. I want to help you because I respect your old work and I know what's what you can do with modern material. The movie never takes, does anything more with that except to say, never mind, we're going to do the old style show anyway. I think that setup and theme was interesting. Do you guys think that that played a part in the rest of the movie? Um, I mean, honestly, like when I was watching it, so like there's a part when he gets fed up and he's like, I don't want to do the show anymore. And then he talks with the ballerina and then they go back to doing the show. <laughs> I was really confused because I was like, why did they, I thought he quit. Like what's going on? And I just feel like, I feel, I don't like, I just feel like this became really outdated. Like it really dates itself with the end because first of all, the musical numbers are corny. Like they're not good at all. No, they're good. They're, they're, I think they're mostly like for the most part to me, they are good. In the review, I mean, in the review, it's terrible. I think here's my take is um maybe uh let me look up his name so I don't screw it up. Maybe, no, I don't even look up his name. Maybe uh, Jerome Robbins saw this and was like, this is West Side Story. <laughs> That's what he thought at the end when they were shooting guns at each other. I was like, I'm going to make West Side Story out of this. <laughs> well, they were dance gun fighting. And you know who else probably got influence from that? It was um, Chad Stahelski. He probably saw this like, That's what John Wick is. Right there. <laughs> there are five numbers at the end. And I don't remember most of their names because, well, I don't remember two of their names because they're just kind of boring, whatever songs. But there are three that stand out. Yeah. One is the the Southern song that we referenced, I which <laughs> I guess is supposed to be like 
Oklahoma e, but just oh. comes off as like really like what is the point of this song? Well, how could this fit into any musical? To be clear, um, I don't know if you guys are aware. Much like Singing in the Rain, this is a jukebox musical. There's like one original song in it. Um, so yes, Louisiana Highway Ride is from a different stage musical called Flying Colors, which is also a musical review show. Well, I'm just saying there's a reason you've never heard of it. It huh. sucks. Um, and then there's triplets, which is from a musical that apparently has a plot. So I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I just right. can I, you please describe triplets? Okay, triplets is first of all, it's, it's as soon as I saw as soon as I saw the title in the little in the, in the program, I was like, no, I already know what's gonna happen. <laughs> so it's, it's these two grown men and this grown woman and they're dressed as babies <laughs> and they're in their little high chairs <laughs> and they sing a song about being babies and they get measles at the same time as they all get measles at the same time and then the, the worst part is when they <laughs> They leave the high chairs and they're like on their knees. So it looks like the little babies are walking. It's grotesque. <laughs> it's just to me, I, I okay, so when they did like the Oklahoma song, I was like, I still thought that it was like the old show. I was like, this is really weird. Like, is this part of the original musical? And then I got to triplets and I was like, I don't think this is the original musical. <laughs> this is what happens after you start writing books for children. You become a child. And that's what triplets is. What's terrifying is that the, the triplets have a line about how like multiple years have gone by where they're like every summer, every winter. And I'm like, wait, so y'all perpetually triplets? <laughs> to me. Is this why you have the faces of old people? To me, and it's just like such it's such a to me, this is like such a bad character moment. Because the director, I mean he's pretty easygoing, but he's like very like serious and like he's an auteur and it's like, you're dressed as a baby. <laughs> <laughs> It just I mean, feels like real. so out of character. The director kind of just stops being a character once he goes, all right, we'll do your show. Like he literally like is like, all right, like, okay. Well, yeah, that's because characters stop existing in this movie. No, on but, the even flip at, of a dime. but even at the end of the movie where it's like, they're all like, he's a jolly good fellow. He's like, gee, you always knew you had it. And it's like, yeah, your character just doesn't exist anymore. Whatever. Like, like what? Like the movie kind of like the reality of the world kind of falls apart to become a musical. Which I always kind of dig when that happens, but it is a little disappointing, especially with that character, because that character is so fun. Yeah, and then the big set piece at the end is the noir, um, kind of this Dick Tracy-esque noir send-off. Um, has multiple sets, f- fight dancing, uh, lots of colors. It's it's a Well, and it, it actually has a plot within it, which was... Very jarring from the rest of this. Well, what I was going to say is what I think is interesting, particularly about that moment, is that's the moment where it really stops being that you're watching a show because the narration going on, like, you know, it is just this is what a film noir musical would be. You know, that obviously would not be on stage because he was delivering all those lines while he was dancing. That wouldn't really be possible. And 
I did. Why would you bother pre-recording the dialogue, especially at this time? But even today, like, you know, if you had that set up, you wouldn't really bother pre-recording like a voiceover to play over the stance. You would just have him still talk. And there's some camera tricks and stuff that like the way the camera's behaving in this is not like the locked down steady shots that Minnelli was using in the rest of the movie. Yeah. Can we talk about the the ADR in this movie at points, particularly uh the terrible singing voice for the ballets? Like does not like I like okay, it's a good singing voice, but it does not match at all like the tone of her actual voice. Like there are plenty of singers, like I know there are singers who can sound more like they match her. Like I'm sure they could have found someone. But what I more stick out to me is that scene where they're it's back when it's a bad play and they're practicing the dance before opening night and it's like all the pyrotechnics are going off and they're coughing and there's no attempt at all to have like the characters on stage cough while they're dance. It's just there's coughing and it's like okay like are they coughing? Is it just really loud people just someone off screen coughing? Well, and I think in general, I think the sound design in this movie was really bad. Like at the beginning when they when they like see him and they're like hey and they sing a little song for him and then they like walk like just a little bit and all of a sudden their voices are just like like you can't hear them at all like it's so poorly mixed and it's like and it's i mean there's like multiple moments where it's like somebody will say something and you're like was that important like because they it's just like a passing comment that they i think that they tried to make it seem like lively and like you know, there's sounds all around, but it just felt so poorly mixed the entire time. Yeah, it's it's really rough, honestly. <laughs> there is one... I'm trying to think. There was a moment in this movie I really did like. They did something interesting with the sound, but I can't remember what it was. I think it was like maybe like they actually put like a filter on the audio. I remember thinking it was cool, but I can't remember when it was. Maybe I'm thinking about the black phone, but I don't think I am. I really think I'm thinking about this movie. Because <laughs> I, 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 I. Parallels between this and the Black Phone are astounding. <laughs> I mean, they both make you wonder, like, what is God? You know, like, Black Phone outright asks, and this has the triplets scene. So. <laughs> I mean, you know what? If the grabber had those triplets, I'm just saying. <laughs> He'd be doing us a favor. He'd be the hero. <laughs> talking about the black phone like if somebody listened to this years from now how irrelevant <laughs> this movie is no no the black phone's gonna be a classic it's definitely gonna be a stone cold classic <laughs> and not forgotten what else should we talk about here because there's there's a lot to talk about here like there's the oedipus stuff which is fun i, I enjoyed the brief bits of the oedipus play we see the production they skip the is- last 200 lines I also just like the reveal. Like, it's a good character introduction for Jeffrey Cordova. We we just cut to a, like a poster that says Jeffrey Cordova presents Oedipus Rex, adapted by Jeffrey Cordova, starring Jeffrey Cordova, and directed by Jeffrey Cordova. Oh, so his name's on the poster four times. Tells you everything you know about that character before you even see him. And it's he's a he's a cartoon character in a movie. I think they're all kind of cartoon characters. But he is like the biggest character here in a cast of characters that are kind of big. I also think the the duo songwriters are up the, especially the husband who's literally like I'm pretty sure every other line of his like, hey, that's my wife. That's the husband <laughs> has such 
a weird face, <laughs> which I guess is like why he was like a bit actor. But it's so like he would be like like in a Joe Pesci movie nowadays. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Joe Pesci is really in Joe Pesci movies nowadays. Well, you know, like, he, would be, he would be his face would be altered in a Joe Pesci movie nowadays. <laughs> They reminded me of the uh, of the supporting characters on the Dick Van Dyke show, and how just it just kept reminding me of how good the Dick Van Dyke show was, and how bad these two people are. I don't even think they're bad. I just think they have nothing to do. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think they're bad. I think they're pretty funny when they have stuff. But yeah, it's very rare they have stuff. I don't know. I thought the wife was pretty bad. <laughs> Oh, that's because you don't. That's because she was in triplets. Like that's a little. Well, no, because there was a specific the part when they were singing. Ride. When they were singing, that's entertainment, and she was out of depth, and no, Fred Astaire like bumped into her. Do you know what I thought was really bad in this at one point? And she got better, but in the first scene you get with the uh, Gabby, Gab, Gabriella, whatever we call her, uh, it's she and Fred Astaire are. It's uh, Sid Clary's. Uh, they argue on the steps, like about who's better, and she's where is she They're looking at? They're not looking at no, each other. Fred Astaire is looking right at her, and but she's not looking at either the camera or Fred Astaire. I, I assume she's looking at Vincent Minnelli. Like that, that's just gotta be like or someone on set because she's her. Uh, what? Like it really threw me out. I was gonna be like, ooh, she's bad, and she got better later on. So I was like, what is going on in this scene? Like, what is the eyeline here? It was so bizarre. Was that, was that's entertainment? Was that the original song? Yeah, it's the original the song. Show? Everything else in this is a... It's just a diet version of There's No Business Like Show Business from Annie Get Your Gun. I mean, it's so, this is still considered a, I mean, you're allowed to have your own opinion, but like, this is considered its own separate classic song and musical History. I was going to say musical theater history, but it originated in a movie. But there is a stage adaptation of this, but you know what I mean. Like, I, I get that it is very, there's no business like show business, but oh, it's different. it worked enough for me to be different. It's not what I'm going to give a nom to, but it worked. Like, it is kind of weird it didn't get in as an original song from this movie that I can tell was pretty popular. I mean, I guess it was kind of a moderate success at the time. It wasn't a huge success, but still. But when the Moon is Blue song got in, it yeah. was a little weird that this one missed. Exactly. This is a better song. Like it's more like it's actually utilized in the movie multiple times and like it's catchy. Like, yes, it is there are points where I'm trying to remember I just think of their business like show business, but that's just because I'm more familiar with that song. I just heard the song for the first time ever like an hour ago. So like Um The one song that I did like in this is when he's at the Penny Arcade at the beginning. Um, it's not really the song at all. I just think that's the best dancing because he's utilizing the set in really cool ways. Um, I like when the question have, mark like transforms into like this bizarre like fireworks machine. I like that moment. Yeah, yeah. it does have a lot of buildup that maybe goes on a little too slowly, but then as the song begins and unfolds, and he uses every single thing in that set, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I thing is, is like it's one of these musicals where it's actually kind of like Hans Christian Anderson in a sense. What I'm about to say is it's kind of repeat what I said is like 
I really like when it's being a musical. I like it less when it's being a diegetic musical and it's like, this is the musical within the world. But when it's like, that's entertainment or like the song you just mentioned, I, I really enjoy it because it's like, oh, for, or Dancing in the Park. I mean, I know it's called Dancing in the Dark, but the scene is Dancing in the Park. Um, or like, yeah, anytime it's just an actual impromptu music, even the end song where it's like, that's entertainment reprise and it's like, therefore he's a god you fell. That's like the one point in this movie I felt something. And that's like, I don't think it's really earned. I think it's just Minnelli's direction, honestly. Because again, I don't, I know, I don't think you've seen Meet Me in St. Louis, but Meet Me in St. Louis, the ending makes me sob every time, and it's just his direction, really there. And Judy Garland, obviously being a great actor, but like, no, I, I have seen Meet Me in St. Louis, and I'm not actually a big fan of it, but it is miles better than this. Well, because also Meet Me in St. Louis only really has one big song, and it's the trolley song. Like, like, you know, like, obviously, Have Yourself a Little Merry Christmas is a big song now, but in the film, it's just like a very, you know, parred down version of it, of her just singing as a lullaby. Um, there was one other number I wanted to talk about in this. Uh, oh, uh, I guess it's called, uh, no, I can't. F- oh, it's Something to Remember You By is, I guess, what it's labeled as on the soundtrack. But it's the one where they're like, let's just have a beer. I really enjoyed that number, like where they're all like, the show sucked. Let's just have fun in our hotel room. I don't know. I thought it was nice. Oh, I just remember there are two gags in this movie I really like. And one of them is like, it's a gag you see everywhere, but it's executed so well here. Which is when they're all excited to see the show before it starts. And then we cut to this bizarre like proto animation to like show the passing of watching the show. And they all just walk out like so like dejected over what they like comedically over the top like that was just the worst thing I've seen in my life <laughs> well I don't know if this I don't know if this next one is what you're gonna talk about but to me like when when Fred Astaire goes to the after party and he's the only one there and he has like his plate of food and he looks out <laughs> like he he's still he's kind of excited he's like oh okay <laughs> uh, that was a good bit <laughs> yeah it's a good one but I was thinking of Later, after the song about the beer, he goes like, I'm going to call up our director and tell him what I think. And he does the big rant to the phone. And then just after he's like, so what do you think of that? Like, he, he talks for like a solid minute. So what do you think of that? And then we just cut to who he's talking to, which is the cleaning lady. And she goes, oh, it's the chambermaid. And she says it exactly how I just said it. <laughs> and then he just he hangs the phone. He very underplays. It's like, he's not in. <laughs> That's good comedy. It's funny. That's entertainment. That, that's entertainment. <laughs> There's no business like show business. You keep saying that like uh, Annie Get Your Gun, but I keep thinking of uh, all that jazz because I just watched that. I just keep thinking of uh, Together Again. <laughs> <laughs> Muppets. So, okay. If this was a Muppet movie, and obviously Fred Astaire's the human. That's just the way it's going to have to be. Yeah. Who do we cast well, as the other character? are you sure? I feel like Fred Astaire has to be Kermit. And then Miss Piggy is the ballet dancer? Yeah. Okay, and then I assume... I think the director Gonzo could be Gonzo, well, Gonzo would be great as the director. No, I was going to say Gonzo and Camila are the writing couple. <laughs> and they just have the clucking chicken and triplets. I feel like the director, <laughs> the director could be the human. Yeah, the director could be the human. Or how about we expand like, the role? Gonzo's character 
is that he's an artist that people don't understand. Well, no, I think you put I think you put Fozzie as the director, and then the one human we expand the role of the choreographer, who's like, I'm the one who got you your career, and that's the one human role, you know, like, and we expand that role to be the like obviously like more of a villain of the piece, and I think wait wait wait, so would triplets be the Muppet Babies? No, because I said Camila has to be one of the two. It would be the babies. The ba- the there baby is no baby Camila. Camila. Muppet babies. I don't think Camila is a Muppet baby. No, 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 no. I think I what mean, we got to do is we got to do trick photography and have them be like the actual dancers, but just put the Muppet heads where the head should be. So there is clearly like human legs moving the baby. So because it's got to be still disturbing, right? And that's how we do it. It's, we give them human legs with the Muppet heads. There is a image. I searched Muppets Baby Camilla, and three different things came up. One is just a chick. One is like a little shrunk down CGI version, which I guess is from the new version. Okay. And then one is it's Camilla is a doll that Gonzo is holding. That's kind of so. Weird. When did when did she gain <laughs> sentience? I mean, I guess you'd have to ask Munson and Beaker. I mean, nothing. <laughs> I'm sure honestly, <laughs> nothing could be worse than the "Forget You" number from Muppets 2011. So <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> okay, but like, quite quite too. The um, smells like teenage spirit barbershop well, yeah. quartet is great. That's good. That's stuff. great, but the forget. <laughs> this is like the Muppets 2011. It just becomes a review. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's different because it's like that's different because I'm ex- see. Remember here, I'm expecting like a full Broadway show because that's what they pitched. They are and the Muppet. They're like they're always like we're bringing back the Muppet Show. And the Muppet Show is a review, so I don't care there. Man, the Muppet Show is a good show. <laughs> they should bring it back, like an actual like Muppet Show. No, nope, like, you're gonna get you're gonna get a Doctor Teeth show. Didn't someone die on that set? Or am I mixing it up with like an Netflix show? If somebody died on Law and Order. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait, no, I think Muppets... I, I'm pretty sure that Muppet show had a production shutdown. It wasn't just COVID. All right, Electric Mayhem. That's what the show's called, just right? Just like the bandwagon, our podcast is falling apart near the end. <laughs> I, I think the Muppets is a... I like how it's labeled <laughs> starring Dr. Teeth and Janice. As if anyone wanted a Muppet show starring those, those two old characters. Oh my only. gosh. Uh, like, like animals not in it? No, no, no. Animals in it. But it says uh, in the original announcement for it, it says Janice and Dr. Teeth will lead the show. And it's like, oh, and Lily Singh is the uh, human character. The human character. But yes, it says Dr. Teeth, Animal, Floyd, Pepper, Janice, Zoot, and Lips will be in it. Again, the like. <laughs> Can we just have a Muppet show? <laughs> like, we don't need to give them all. <laughs> I, I just don't think it's possible to be able to do what. Like, I don't think that there is the the that type of humor works nowadays. I think people would just be kind of confused by it. What do you mean, like a like a Muppet show, Muppet show, or like this pitch? Yeah, yeah, or, like. The, like 
because the Muppet Show is a parody of variety, or not even a parody, but it's a send up of variety. I is a variety show where you get to go behind the curtain and everything's ridiculous because it's Muppets. We don't have the context of a variety show anymore. So I don't think that like that could work. What Muppets should do is they should just do short bits. Like, well, I thought the Muppet show they actually had on Disney Plus that I assume isn't getting a second season. At least announced they're doing a freaking Electric Mayhem show instead. <laughs> but I feel like the Muppet show where it was like I don't I think it was called Muppets Now, but it was like these are this is content for a YouTube channel. That's the behind the scenes thing is the the like connecting thing is Scooter is being told to upload it. And like they're all having technical difficulties because obviously the other Muppets don't understand how to like export stuff right. And like that is just the connecting bit. But there is no overarching plot with like what is Scooter actually dealing with as the tech guy here. But I like I don't know. I actually enjoyed that season of TV. And I feel like if they like worked on it and Disney cared, like it would be a decent Muppet show. Anyway, the bandwagon. (laughs) What are we talking about? The Muppets. Muppets now. Anyway, so the bandwagon. Um, anything else we want to say in here? There's an Ava Gardner cameo. She's the human cameo. <laughs> she is a cameo. <laughs> um, nah, this movie, I, like this movie, is a classic. People do really like it. Um, and I think there is some technical proficiency here. Um, but it would not be the first classic musical I would recommend. Curious if this actor is in anything else big. Um, the guy. Stare? No, no. The shoe shine Kermit. man. The shoe shine he, man. He doesn't have He's, a Wikipedia page. He does have an IMDb page. Um, but it looks like he was in something called Disco Godfather. That's dancing. Gr- so he's just a dancer. But he was really good. I thought he was great in this. Yeah. And- Very small part. But like. Yeah. Probably the only part he could get in 1953. Yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not giving it credit for, to be clear, I'm not giving any credit like, ooh, progressive points. No, it's not progressive at all. <laughs> but it is a, yeah. it's a good dance performance still. Like, I, he danced well. He's probably yeah. the best dancer in this besides Fred Astaire, from what I get to see in the dancing, in the movie. Sorry, ballet. I'm still not a fan. Sarah, mind us what this was nominated for, please. Um, <laughs> this was nominated for uh, Best Costume Design, Color, Best Scoring of a Musical Picture, Best Story and Screenplay, or Original Screenplay. So wait, I'm sorry, what? Three awards. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Costume Design. Okay. <laughs> score. Okay. Sorry. No, Origi- okay. Original Screenplay. I will explain why I was confused, and then I'll give my answer. I thought you just said, I thought you said best score, uh, the first time, score, comma, best musical picture. I don't know why I heard that. I was like, wait, there's a separate category for musical pictures. All right. Um, My choice is costume design. In fact, I almost was, like, going to give it costume design, and, like, as my added nom. I think the costume design here is great. uses Technicolor really well. There's one scene where I think they're in the hotel room, and, like, his, their, his suit and her dress kind of match the couches they're on. And I really just like, oh, I love like the thought here. And like, there's a ton of costumes in here. I understand. And I feel like I'm going to beat you guys to the show. I'm sure one of you are going to make it that like, you can't 
not give the costume design because that means the triplets costumes won. But everything else here is really good, I felt like. Even like the Norse stuff, I think, is cool. It's nice and stylized. So costume design. Um, yeah, I give a costume design. You're right, Danny. I was going to make that joke. I <laughs> still am because <laughs> I hated the triplet sequence. <laughs> and so, but also, you know, I obviously can't give this a story, so I'll give it to score. It is a good score. Usually, this is the song as well. All right. So, Adonam. Um, well, going off of what you're talking about with the costumes, the other technical award that this really should have gotten a nomination for is the set design. It's amazing. Um, the apart, the director's apartment where each of the room has its own distinct like colors, the sets that they are doing their musical on, um, even down to the arcade, like I was saying, every piece of that, every prop within that has a, has a purpose in the dancing. It's just really cool. Um, and that was the one consistently excellent part of the movie. I think about how good the production design is for that shot of Oedipus, the Oedipus play, which is literally like in one shot of the movie. It's like, wow, that looks great. Anyway. And also that scene where they drop the lights on the set. Anyway, Sarah, what would you give it? Production design. Production design? I don't have anything to say. People keep taking my awards. I'm surprised that, uh, I don't know, I kind of get it, because what you said about nose business, like show business, is that I feel like most people, like most historians here, not not people necessarily who would watch it, most historians here would be like, that's entertainment not being nominated for original song is a terrible snub in history. I feel like would be a thing, but that's not what I'm giving it either. Um, I'm giving supporting actor to Jack Buchanan as the director, because I think he kills it when he's actually a role, and it's not his fault the character disappears. And he does give his all to the triplet scene. Like, it, it is disturbing, but he's he's just following direction. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, I can't hold against him that he's signed on to this movie and being told to do this. He gives it his all. And up until, like, up until, like, his character, like, disappears from the movie as a character, he is by far the character in this movie that's making me laugh the most. And do you he think... is so into it. He's so engaged with the material. Do you think what they were making it? That one person was like, this is disturbing. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I, I have to imagine, like, the lighting guy on set was like, why are they doing this? <laughs> I, feel like, I also feel like the production design people were kind of like, we're not going to try here. You're going to get a backdrop. You're gonna get- <laughs> you do not get our effort here. Uh, all right, so that's the bandwagon. It's Manelli's classic. So, you ready to hear what we have next week? Well, I'm excited for this one. Yes. All right. So, next week, we do get to finally wrap up the 26th Academy Awards with our third film we'll cover from then. Can I have a jump, drum roll, please? This film is Byron Haskins' The War of the Worlds, the 1953 War of the Worlds film, which won visual effects but it did not have any competition so it is still up for this podcast yeah i'm excited i'm I'm too i've never seen uh well i actually haven't even seen the spielberg one so i've never seen any adaptation of the war of the worlds and this is supposed to be a good one i'm pretty sure so yeah it's kind of have you ever listened to the radio broadcasts either no 
I haven't. I have. I, I know what it is, but I've never listened. It's very good. Yep, that's what we'll cover next time. Anyway, but for now, I'm Danny Vincent. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd at Blank Mints for all the reviews of any movie that I talk about, I see. You can also listen to my other two podcasts, Why is Ty and Dan, and Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, uh, wherever you find your podcasts. I am Caleb Bunn. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, from there, you can find my litany of other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited, Star Wars Therapy, and All New 52 that I do with our editor, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. He's, he's going to have his work cut out for him. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's he one of our does. catchphrases. <laughs> Who am I? Um, <laughs> you can find me on Letterboxd. Just my name, Sarah Knopf. I'm going to write my review of, of Marry Me, and I'm going to expose Metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> well now you have to have that up by the time this episode's out um, marry me best movie of 2022 um where else am I I'm on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram sgk29 essgeekey29 um and you can find us the snub club on Facebook the snub club uh Twitter snub club pod snub pod and uh Instagram snub club podcast Mary Me is also the best comic book movie of 2022. That's so weird. It is based uh, on a spoke like someone who hasn't seen DC League of Super Pets. The hierarchy of the DC <laughs> universe just changed. Anyway, <laughs> we'll see you next time with The War of the Worlds. Bye. Bye.